As you may have noticed, the Covert Narcissism podcast has a new look. Well, kind of a new sound. You know, it's better sound, a studio recording. I'm sitting in front of a mic and lights and, and a camera. And, and my producer came to me and, okay, yes, those words actually just came out of my mouth. I have a producer. What? I've never had a producer in my life. This is crazy. But he came to me and he said, hey, you should charge for a second episode each week, you know, to help cover these costs, like a, a bonus episode, a patron program. And I went, I can't do that. I can't do that. It's not in my heart to charge for these episodes. So I told him, I said, look, we just, we got to find a different way. So instead of charging for a second episode, we're going to open up donations. So if you are finding value in this and you can contribute to our cause, please join us. And as you do, I want to reward you. I, I want to thank you for your, your commitment, for this monthly donation, uh, whatever you're comfortable with. It can be small. That's fine. Whatever you can do for whatever length of time, there's no obligation here. But I want to include you in this mission. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm working on a book. And the title of the book is still in the works, but the title I'm liking right now is Grasping Covert Narcissism, subtitled Catching a Ghost. And if you can donate to our cause, I'm going to send you the first chapter of this book. I want you to read it. I want you to rip it apart and give me some feedback. To donate, just go to the top of the link at the show notes. It's nice and easy, and it's greatly appreciated. You all are a part of my journey, so please join me if you can. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing. Welcome to the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Swanson. Thank you so much for joining us today. Covert narcissism is not a gender issue. This is absolutely affecting both men and women. I talk from my perspective because that is what I lived, but I know there are many men out there who are living this nightmare with a covert narcissistic wife. And it doesn't stop there. This is affecting the LGBTQ community. It's affecting parent-child relationships, sibling relationships, friendships, even work relationships. The reach of covert narcissism is extensive. No matter the nature of your relationship, this abuse is damaging and wrong. Today, I am happy to introduce you to Dave, a victim of covert narcissism. I am thrilled to have him join us and share his perspective and insights with us today. Dave, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be here with us and for being willing to share some of your story with my audience. Thanks, Renee. Thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yes, no, you're very welcome. Um, so how is this journey different? Uh, you know, I'm, as a woman, I cannot speak, you know, to a guy's perspective on this. And and I very much so want to. I, I want that to be a part of this journey for CNG. So um, get us started on that. What is the, you know, your perspective as a guy of covert narcissism and, and like the impact it's having? Sure. I In what I've learned from going through it and then listening to the podcast and, and digesting all this material um, is that the covert narcissism piece of it isn't, I think, in my opinion, very different for a male or female. But where the difference comes in for a male facing this is in kind of identifying the covert narcissism, the behaviors as abuse. Um, I think 
and uh, it may be uh, speaking with a broad brush and, and just from my perspective, but I think that it's very difficult for men typically to accept that abuse is happening to them. Um, it's a little bit different when someone can say, hey, I'm a victim here or hey, I'm being abused. I think those are two different things. And when when you look at it from a male point of view, you hear a lot of examples in the world of women receiving the abuse. You hear very few examples about men being abused, especially when it comes to non-physical abuse. Um, and that, again, that would fall under both male or female. I'm sure that both parties would would find it difficult to identify non-physical abuse, especially in the courtroom and, and different things like that. But for a guy, um, when we when we think abuse, we think physical, you know, right away. And so I think that identification really is is a tough piece to conquer. It was for me right in the beginning to try and figure out what the heck was going on. Um, and then accepting it is another piece because there's a lot of, um, uh, identity with masculinity, um, how people were raised different, um, generational expectations. So accepting that you're, that you've been abused is, is quite challenging. Um, and then I, the other last piece, uh, to that is when you go to find help, then all those things I just mentioned exist in the help sphere too. So um, when you're trying to talk to someone and, and explain that, hey, I think I've been abused, then you have to overcome those same misconceptions that they may have about, well, you're a guy. So how is that possible? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the women that I work with they definitely go through that, you know, trying to struggle, try, struggling, trying to identify it as abuse because it's not physical. And so that that struggle is there. I imagine as a guy, it just adds a whole nother layer to that. Yeah, I agree. And and I do identify, I mean, with the other women that I've talked to through um, the group sessions and stuff, too. It's definitely identifying non-physical abuse as abuse is a challenge for anybody, male or female. Um, but I, I just feel that the guys may have a, a bit more time and difficulty coming to that conclusion. And that's tough because... Uh, for me, once I identified that, hey, I think I'm in the right place, I think this is really what I need to work on, then I was able to get the knowledge and tools to help me lead to my recovery. And when you can't get there quick enough, that just makes it a lot harder and a longer mm -hmm. period. Yeah. No, I understand that. And I'm so glad that that you did join the groups and and they bring a perspective that was just so helpful, you know, to the group environment. So thank you. Um, how did you discover that this was what was going on? Like what what opened your eyes to this? You know, the interesting thing is that uh, in the relationship that I had was 18 years. So it was, you know, relatively long term. And a lot of the behaviors that I learned about um, they had existed and they had been in place for a long time throughout that relationship. It's not like it just clicked overnight, but I had never identified them as anything abusive. I didn't know anything about narcissism. I didn't perceive it as abuse. Um, I, I didn't know what gaslighting was. That was an alien term to me. 
Um, and yet it was frequently in play. Uh, so um, you can imagine, you know, I'm, I'm sure many people listening, when you when you hear the podcast, you're like, that's me, that's me. Um, you look back and reflect and go, man, I should have known about this all along. But I think what really led to the discovery for me was how the interaction with my children had changed. And, and um, I have three, three, I would say younger kids, they, you know, they uh, nine, 10, 12 at the time. So, you know, they're at that age where they can kind of take care of themselves, but they still need some help and, and coaching. And this was a couple years prior, even that this was ramping up. So um, I had noticed a, a very significant disinterest in caring for the kids. Um, and this I did notice before I knew anything about narcissism. And uh, I wasn't worried that if I wasn't there, the kids weren't going to get taken care of. It wasn't, I wouldn't call it neglect, right? The kids ate, they were, they were taken care of. But if I was in the picture or another family member was in the picture, it was a complete checkout situation. Um, she would be on her phone, just scrolling through. Um, I remember family members brought it to my attention one time when we were over for a family dinner at my parents' house. And um, my kids were younger, you know, they still need help getting their plates together, you know, for dinner. And I was doing all of it. I have three kids plus me. So I'm doing four plates of food. And she just sat on the couch on her phone until it was time. And then she just got her own food and sat at the table. And I had a family member point out to me like, hey, don't you think that's like kind of like strange? Like my, my, my family member was actually helping me with the plates. You know, and it was just, it was, I didn't even know. Oh, oh no, she's just tired. She's got so much going on. And it really wasn't. You make a lot of excuses in your head, you know. Um, but yeah, that, that was excuse the. Gets, that excuse list gets really long for all of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's what kind of started me down this path that like something was wrong. And um, I, that led me to identify that she was not. Um, there was a disconnect between how she was interacting with the kids and what the future was going to be. And it came to a head when, you know, COVID had shut everything down and we were under a lot of financial pressure. We both owned our own businesses. And uh, so it was really hard for us. And um, it came to a point where uh, something had come up where she wanted to take all the money that we had and use it to bail out a family member and i finally had to say and this was not something that i had to do often in 18 years i really never said no to her and i was like listen you can't do this like we can't take the money we have for groceries the mortgage you know all that we just we can't you know we're not going to be able to feed the kids we're not going to be able to provide for them and um, I'll never forget it. It was this look of like, how could I betray her and not support her and what she wanted to do? And I couldn't wrap my head around like, how can you justify that this is okay? Like, I get it that you want to help somebody else, but not the sacrifice to your kids. And I mean, it was really, it was to the point where I almost thought I was going to have to like, hide the money, <laughs> you know, like, right. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I had never really been faced with that before. It had always been what I would call an adversarial relationship. I was more collaborative and she was more adversarial. So I always felt that way, but that was kind of when it was like, when I said that, and I was like, no, you can't do that. 
I remember the silent treatment started picking up for months. There was a complete disinterest in taking care of the kids. Um, and the whole behavior and pattern shifted. And then it led to, I think what happened there was um, there was no longer like any validation in being a part of the family, you know? And so then she had found some other things to make her feel better. Um, and then it just cascaded from there. Mm-hmm. So in my case, this is something different than a lot of the folks that I've listened to in the group sessions and through other interviews and stuff. In my case, the discovery period was over, I would say, a very short period of time. I didn't I didn't recognize that there was a problem over the 18 years of my relationship. It was more like the last 12 months, you know, and then very sharply, I discovered kind of some of the things that she was doing to make herself feel better. And I was like, well, this isn't going to work. And so it was, a, it was a easier decision for me to say, this isn't going to work. than some others that I hear struggle with, should I stay in this relationship or not? So that's one thing that may be a little bit different about my situation. But Yeah. Well, every situation is a, a little bit different. Like there are going to be, there's so many similarities that we all feel like we've been married to the same person, but there definitely are differences, you know, along the way. So, so with your kids, you, you mentioned your kids here and, uh, and with your kids, I, I have seen in some of the work that I've done, I've seen some of the interactions between a, a covert narcissistic mother and her children, uh, in my family business that I've had, you know, in the past. And, um, and it was very crushing to me to see this interaction between a mom, uh, who is, who's being, you know, emotionally and verbally abusive to her children and it was pretty flagrant like it was right in my face flagrant and at the time it was actually before i even knew about narcissism and i went whoa that's not okay so so as a father watching this with your kids um you know what is that perspective like seeing that this is their mom that is the covert narcissist in their life yeah i would tell you that right from the start that was one of the biggest challenges or biggest fears that i had was what was going to happen to the kids? How are they going to be impacted? They were in very developmental years. And, you know, what was going, what was going to be their perception? Um, and so I jumped to the worst case scenarios in my head about, you know, she's ignoring the kids. She's not tending to them. She's not um, caring for them correctly. There's substance abuse involved. There's, there's all kinds of things that I jump to and I'm like, man, there's going to be dangers for these kids. Um, and so I, I, I'm glad that I thought about it, but I think that maybe I got ahead of, let's see how it plays out first. And in actuality, the kids have done better than I feared, which is great. I, I'd rather be wrong, you know, yes. and have them dealing with it okay. And um, the, the interesting thing is um, with, with my ex was that the times when she would jump in to really be that parent was the time when she had the opportunity to show her superiority, right? To To demonstrate a skill that she can do better than somebody else and so now that we have this 50-50 situation going on with custody, I kind of feel like she's in a position where she has to prove to me that she can do it, which actually works out because 
the kids are being taken care of better. So I'm not complaining about that. And I would, right. I would much rather things go that way. Um, and plus the kids are, I, I got to give them credit. They're, they're a bit more resilient um, than, than I had given them credit for in the beginning. Um, their, their transition's doing okay. And when things go sideways a little bit, I've actually heard them identify it and call it out. Um, there was an instance, I won't get into the details, but where uh, my ex had pointed out to my little one that I was a poor communicator on just some little thing. And my nine-year-old actually said, no, that that didn't happen. I was standing right next to him. That didn't happen, which actually made me feel a lot better because now I know these kids can take care of themselves. They they can realize that there's some behaviors there. And even though they may not know anything about covert narcissism, they do have some instincts to go, hmm, this isn't right or whatever. And on those opportunities where there was a gap in care, they knew they had me to lean on. Um, they knew they had me to call. They knew they had. So um, it it for in my case, it hasn't gone as terrible as I feared. Um, but I hope that answers the question a little bit. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes. Of the, just the, the effect that, that the kids go through when this is their mom. And, and it's, you know, I, I like to hear what you're saying. And I, and I will say that the more I've learned about all of this, it doesn't matter whether it's the the mother or the father, that the impact right. on the kids is very real. It's, it's definitely there. And, and on the same note, as long as they have the safety of, of one emotionally safe parent, whether it's the mother or the father, it only takes one emotionally safe parent connecting with that child to help them to uh, break this cycle of like generational trauma that's going on in families. I I agree. Um, I think that the kids are learning how to navigate um, that my my ex um, in a pretty effective way. But one thing I would, I would say, uh, and definitely for others to hear is I think it really helped in my case to maintain composure and not, there were a couple of times, listen, I didn't run a perfect game, but there were a lot of times where I really just had to like, make sure that I did not react in a way that gave the kids the impression I didn't want to hear it because, because I've, indicated hey i'm here for you no matter what you tell me whatever you need i don't quiz them i don't interrogate them about you know what's going on over there but because i'm able to be non-reactive and get up i don't get upset i don't freak out and go well how could that be you know they feel that they're able to come to me and that's already proven true i think in a couple instances where they've come back and go hey i don't i'm not really that comfortable about this or or my uh, my daughter was having a hard time at school and she didn't know who to talk to, but she came to me about it. And I think that's what is best for them, right? Absolutely. So if you have an outlet where you you kind of like got to just keep your composure and talk to somebody else in a support group or, or something, then that's great. But at least with the kids, I think it's really important to maintain that composure that you're not thrown off your saddle every time something goes sideways. And there will be a lot of those opportunities where they'll try to throw you sideways. Yes, Yes, well, they're kids, and and there's going to be a lot of different things to work through there. So, okay, and I do think it's crucial to have your own outlets as an adult, but your outlets should not be your own children. You know, which is something that the covert narcissistic parents struggle with is is their outlet is their kids, 
and that should not be the case. So, okay. Yeah. So as we wrap this up, um, what would you like to, you know, what would you like to make sure that that our audience out there hears? Yeah, um, I would say the biggest thing is to understand, and I know that you have said this before, and I'll, I'll probably reiterate it. Um, the recovery is is not about the narcissist. The recovery is about you, whether you're male or female, right? And I think that there's a lot of power in the knowledge of learning about covert narcissism, um, the techniques, what the root causes are. I think all that is really important. It's been very valuable for me. But I think you have to walk a line there where you don't focus too much on them. You're learning about that covert narcissist, but you're learning about them to better prepare you to face them or or maneuver with them or parent with them or you know whatever it is and maybe continue the relationship with them and i think once you learn all of that material it's very advantageous but you can't forget that it's about you so if you remember it's about you what can you control you can you can come up with healthy coping mechanisms that help distract you it could be things like exercise or spending time with with um family members or or different things like that um, it could be realizing that you're not going to be able to change them and that maybe I need to maneuver or or change some things so that I can avoid certain situations. Um, but I think that the number one thing is to get help, right? And help not to change them, but to help you. And if you can find someone that, and this is tough, but if you could find someone that understands a little bit about this uh, that we're facing, especially in a support group, then that makes it a world easier for you. Because a lot of people out there, it's an overused term, I think, these days. When you bring up the word narcissism, I think a lot of people check out. Um, so when you're in a group, like when I worked with you in these group sessions, I cannot explain how refreshing it was that when I brought up an example, people didn't judge me for it, you know, or think that I was... Um, exaggerating or or something yeah it didn't sound petty and trivial like it does when we're talking to people who don't get it yes but when you're in the support group and these are people who get it because they've lived it too and you bring up an example and they're like oh my gosh thank you so much for saying that because it's exactly what they can relate to yes and it was challenging for me to find a support group or even just um a support in general um, as a guy, because I know there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of women only support groups. And I, I really appreciate, you know, when I had reached out to you and said, Hey, I know I'm a guy, but can I participate? And you welcomed me and brought me in. And I found a lot of value in engaging with that group, regardless of, of male or female. Um, so I think that the, there's definitely, I mean, obviously I recommend, you know, your program, but there's, there are resources out there. There are, there um, are. there's a lot of good resources out there. Yes. 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 Okay. Find the right one. Okay. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being here and being a part of this journey. Um, I'm sorry that you're having to be here. I, you know, I'm, I hate it for everybody who comes into my zoom space, but um, but I'm so glad to have to you know get to know you and you've been such a such a huge uh, you played such a huge role in the group session of just helping to support the others who were there too. So thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to the Covert Narcissism Podcast with your host Renee Swanson. Be sure to check out our website at www 
CovertNarcissism.com. There you will find many resources just for you to help you on this journey. You can also reach out to me by email at Renee, R-E-N-E-E, at CNGLifeCoaching.com. Those letters are CNG, as in Covert Narcissism Group. I do look forward to hearing from you. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing.